Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Routine podcast. Yeah, this is where we fine pick the diary of a top writer's day to see just what they're doing that makes them kind of creatively successful. Now today we're chatting to the author DM Mark, David Mark, it's a pseudonym, we'll talk more about that in a sec. He's just released a gruesome historical crime novel, it's called The Zealot's Bones. So we'll chat about why he became obsessed with cholera ravaged hull for a time as well. Uh, we'll find out what books he draws inspiration from today as well and why he's got an odd way of learning the secrets of who he's writing. Was it Laurence Olivier who said he didn't know a character until he could imagine their shoes? Well, I get to know a character when I know what they would drink. If you said you can have anything you want, if you choose a chai latte, I can. I, I now know you. If you ask for a pint and a, and a double, I, I, I now know you. And it's, it's probably the very worst type of stereotyping, but it does come from a 20-year experiment that's involved spending a lot of time in pubs, getting to know people. That's on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. So check this out for modern technology, right? I couldn't get to a studio this week and I left my portable recording gear elsewhere. So I'm sat right now in my car outside a travel lodge in Liverpool recording this on the iPhone. Seriously, if my nan was kind of up to date enough with tech and could figure out her phone to download podcasts and listen to what her grandson's up to, her mind would be blown right now at how much the world's moved on. So yeah, if it sounds a little bit tinny, echoey, if you can hear the cars speeding by outside, that's why. But that's the last apology you'll hear from me on the show. Uh, Well, except I've I've become a little bit obsessed, right? A little bit like a a jilted lover desperately stalking the ex. Instead instead of the ex, I'm avidly watching the iTunes podcast chart because I realised the other day there's loads more than the main one on the homepage that you see. They've got podcast charts for each individual category uh, as well. Now, writer's routine, it's in the art and literature category. And over the last week, I've been watching it, you know, like a hawk that hasn't eaten for days. And it's both great and also like a little bit depressing because basically uh, I'm in a battle with Harry Potter. And he defeated the Dark Lord and everything, the only one that could do it. I'm up against it here. There's like 800 Potter podcasts on there. Everyone that's got an iPhone and a car outside a travel lodge is recording a Harry Potter podcast. 
I think about dobbing them into JK Rowling, by the way. I know she takes her um, intellectual property pretty seriously. So I know that we all love Potter and everything, but I need your help in the battle against the boy who lived. I don't need your wand. I don't want you to join some weird army, wear black masks with a weird arm tattoo. All I need is for you to get onto the iTunes podcast store and leave this show a review. It would be handy if you gave us five stars. Because if you like the show, if you've enjoyed the interviews, and if you've learned anything from them and you want more top authors on, that's the only way we're going to make it happen. Get onto the iTunes podcast store, find Writer's Routine, leave us a review, and we might take down Potter, the boy who lived together. So sharing their Writer's Routine this week is David Mark. Uh, He's got a new book out under the slightly mysterious pseudonym of D.M. Mark. Uh, It's called The Zealot's Bones, and it's like a slight departure from his previous work. That's why he's got the pseudonym. Now, he's most known, you might know him, for his contemporary crime novels, the McAvoy series. Uh, There's been six of those out, and one of them, Dark Winter, was a Sunday Times bestseller. Now, his new book, it's all about Hull. And it travels back to 1849, uh, when a cholera outbreak had ravaged the city, decimated the place. And it kind of shows you uh, what you need to know about David's slightly warped and twisted mind that he thought this was the best place to introduce a serial killer in there as well, to really turn the screw on Hull. Uh, So we'll have a little bit of chat about where the idea came from, how he researched it, how he managed to move it onto the paper, and how it was different writing historical crime uh, to murderous mystery today also uh, it's amazing this man is a proper writer like he looks like a proper writer imagine how you think a proper writer looks dm mark looks exactly like this when i met him he was dressed in like a waistcoat uh, a really nice uh, woolen blazer and a flat cap as well a proper northern soul uh, and he had hard opinions as well on how books should be written which you'll hear in a sec too now our distinguished diary on this week's episode features the day of kurt vonnegut so we'll hear about his weird and wonderful writing routine in a bit first let's get into the chat then with david mark and we start chatting about where he actually gets his work done I used to have a really, really cool office where everything was beautiful and gorgeous and uh, I could see horses and a church and my own children and things. Uh, whereas now I basically live in a broom cupboard uh, in quite a big house, but I, I, I have so many children that I, I've given myself a little bit of a L-shaped corridor of my very own. Uh, so no, I, I have a... I, from where I sit and work, I can see my computer, I can see the small cowboy and Indian figures behind it. I think there is a dead goat skull that's one of the children brought me uh, and lots of assorted weird stuff really uh, as you can probably imagine uh, but it is essentially just a just a computer on a desk covered in uh, whimsy and detritus are they there rather artily to kind of get the juices going <laughs> uh, ideally yeah but it's it's more just a case of living up to my imagined role of what a, a writer's room would look like I've done the best with what I've got but no I mean things like that they're, they're more affectation than inspiration I think uh, but the 8,000 books that line the walls they're definitely where the inspiration comes from uh, uh, t- so tell me about the 8,000 books what what range do we have well, everything I uh, I will read everything that you can if you, if 
if you if you want me to go into sort of a, a goldfish like trance, leave something out for me to read, uh, and that's it. I'll be absorbed until somebody stops me. So my my office is just groaning under the weight of hundreds of hardbacks, paperbacks. It's just like I don't know. Every time you open a open a book. There's just that chance that you'll find a, a little a spell that's meant for you. Uh, that it's the right book on the right day can create something magical. So the idea of getting rid of them or giving them to to somebody else, I understand the merits of that, but they're all my 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 cave of dreams. You know, <laughs> you know, you know that scene in the BFG uh, where he goes to collect all the dreams. That's kind of how I see books. You know, so you open the pages and there's just that chance that. You you might see something that'll set you off in a direction that you didn't know existed within you. So I, I guess this is quite a tough uh, follow-up to that then. What is the book that is kind of most thumbed and has given you the most magic uh, to be twee that, that kind of sits there right now? What, what, what's, the, what, what's the go-to my, comfort my, one? My constant... Uh, my, my comfort, my source of inspiration, uh, there's, there's an awful lot, but I'd... I'd I'd probably say that it's uh, Jamaica Inn by uh, by De Maurier, yeah, because I just don't think that there's ever any book has got it quite so right in terms of how to blend atmosphere, character, and story. And it's 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 strange. It must be like being an, an artist and and keeping your favourite uh, your favourite painting on the wall, uh, sort of to inspire yourself, also to keep you humble, to uh, to, to remind you of your place in things. And, and yeah, definitely Maria does does that for me. Well, I guess then, uh, although. I understand that you've come here to talk to me about yourself, your your new book, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on on Daphne du Maurier. Um, and, and I've caught you, uh, I've hot footed you here. Uh, the, the 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 Jamaica in then. What did it teach you about about writing, about staying humble? Very very. If you can sum that up. Oh, that's, uh, well, I, I could I could give you a very interesting two hour lecture on on it, but uh, but but to to sum it up. Uh, it was the first book in which I reached the end and felt as though I had been somewhere else. I felt as though I'd, I'd experienced everything that the characters uh, had had felt. And I hadn't realised how fleeting a sensation that is uh, in, in a lot of the things I'd read previously. I, I really, when I'm writing, like to imagine that if one of my characters is, is shivering under a damp blanket, that wherever they may be in the world whether it's on a sun lounger or in a hotel room or in their own bedroom or on a tube people will feel a whiff of that some kind of experience that for themselves uh, and it was it's very much uh, Jamaica in then that that showed me how to feel that that opening where they're going through they're going through the the, the, the dark moors um, and the rain is coming down and it's like driving into a a, a whole different world and I, I just Every time I think of that, I, I imagine stepping through some some sort of tunnel into a different world, and that is what you do every time you pick up a book. I wake up about seven-ish. Uh, there's various children wandering in and out of the bedroom while I'm trying to order my thoughts. Uh, a cup of tea, make the coffee, do the school run, and then uh, ideally I'm back at my desk or I'm at my desk by about quarter past nine. Uh, you have to, if you're a writer, you have to read the Guardian. 
one of those things you have to find out uh, how how badly the world has done since you last checked since you took your eye off it usually would got worse and uh, then you check what people how people have reacted to it so you know what to think uh, and and eventually i think well i can't affect any of those things best retreat into fiction uh, and then i sit basically sit and do what the job is which is to turn what i see in, within the cinema of my mind into a into a story and i just bash it out that's it you know i mean it, it's i'm very pleased that people refer to my works as, as being vaguely poetic and and make reference to them being you know moderately well written uh, and I'd sort of destroy that by saying bash it out, but it is essentially that's what you're doing if you if, if you're making a sculpture, you you're, you're chiselling away, and it might be beautiful when you finished it, but there's a lot of work goes into it, so it, I um, just go for it, and then I, I stop when somebody tells me to stop, because there's usually an, an errand of some description that is required, or so there's all sorts of reality gets in the way, but no, that's as far as I'm concerned, that's meant to be my job. I sit and I write, and then. Uh, it becomes a book. So you say it's meant to be your job. Most people's jobs run from nine till five. When are you usually forced to stop? I, I usually uh, jack it in about uh, four o'clock. Um, but just because I'm not typing anymore, that it doesn't leave. Uh, I mean, it's actually a, it's a more it's a more soothing healing process to to write than it is to think about the next day's writing. Uh, because when you're writing, you can actually affect it, and it, you're lancing that boil uh, or, or whatever it, whichever analogy you. One, you, you, you're getting it out of you uh, but when you know you're not going to be doing that again until quarter past nine the next morning it kind of lives in your head and it's, it's, it's a hard balance to get right because even if there was some pill that I could take to stop thinking about my novels when I'm not writing them I don't know what would flood in to, to fill that gap because when I'm writing, my, my stories essentially consume everything about me, uh, which sounds unbearably pretentious, but it, it is... I can't really do things half-heartedly. If you believe that this story has chosen you and you have to get it out and you're its custodian for a while, uh, you owe it the duty of, uh, of obsession, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about The Zealot's Bones, which is the new book. Talk to me about the planning of that. Do you remember the first moment you, you had the idea for the story? Uh, well, by the time Zealot's Bones occurred to me, I was already about three or four books into the McAvoy series, a contemporary crime series set in Hull. Um, so I knew I, could, I, I knew I could write a crime story. People had been very nice about them and they'd, they'd done well. Um, but it was, it was more a case of I wanted to write a book that uh, that would have affected me as a reader um, in a certain way, and I know that I can uh, I can do that with contemporary crime fiction, but you are s somewhat um, straight jacketed by certain rules of the procedure, um, and also it's quite difficult to get away with murder in these days of uh, everything being observed and recorded, and and I, I've always felt like a stranger in the 21st century. I have no business here. So I just kind of want to take myself back to to a blank canvas, and I thought, where do I want to where do I want to spend some time? And it just so happened that Hull, which is kind of home in a in a in a vague way, uh, has a fascinating he history, and was a victim of a terrible cholera outbreak uh, in 1849 that I just happened to read quite a bit about, and I thought to myself, what must that be like? What must it be like when 
you're watching your city die when you're watching your neighbours being buried in, in ground that you can't even get spared into without disturbing yesterday's bodies what an unbelievably squalid, dark, terrible place that must be and yet there were still human beings uh, getting married, having babies, trying to live uh, and it just struck me as uh, as a place that I wanted to better understand. I thought the best way to do that was by introducing a serial killer into the mix. Uh, so there was no there was no one spark of I have to write this novel, but there became a point when a series of vague ideas coalesced into something, um, and then when the when you get to know your character, they're sort of your they're your guide. They lead you by the hand. So how do you get to know the character then? How are you? How much are you mining? that initial idea to get something uh, that will be interesting and that people will want to buy it could be a certain person on a certain day it, it I, I've, i'm lucky in that i spent a great deal of my life uh, getting to know interesting people and occasionally somebody will come up with a sentence uh, in conversation or, or, or they'll expose a little bit of of inner angst or, they, or they'll they'll treacherously betray a, a, an enthusiasm for something and then be embarrassed about it afterwards was it Lawrence olivier who said he didn't know a character until he could imagine their shoes uh well i get no character when I know what they would drink uh, if it, once I know whether somebody is into their uh, if you said you can have anything you want if you choose a chai latte I can I, I now know you if you ask for a if, if you ask for a pint and a, and a double I, I, I now know you um, and it's, it's probably the very worst type of stereotyping but it does come from a 20 year uh, experiment that's involved spending a lot of time in pubs getting to know people and yeah it's it's strange it's just these these little affectations and these these little identifiers suddenly you, you start to think in in the, the right way you start to think as this person thinks I was lucky and I was born knowing how to to write up to a point so I just know which words are supposed to go where so it's often as much of a revelation to me I read it back I think I don't know where that bit came from so you say um Quite often you don't know what's going on, no, but no. you've got your you've got your place, you've got your setting, your time, your characters. Then how much are you planning your plot? I mean, earlier you mentioned um, and we discussed how you can just sit there and you bash it out. Yeah. But how do you know what you're bashing out at that point? You can feel incredibly enthusiastic about writing bilge, uh, and you only know it's bilge when you read it back. Uh, but you, sometimes you think, yeah, this is working. I've got this. Uh, other, other days it can be absolute torture because you know that what you're writing is close to what you're trying to say um, so that, that that's when the graft does does come in and that's what hopefully I've, when you've got your, your spider senses aligned and you know what, what works but I, I, I wouldn't ever embark upon a story unless there was a story uh, which basically for me means a beginning, a middle and an end so I, I just kind of know uh, I'll put 25 uh, chapters um, I'll just uh, on a word document and I'll ha I'll kind of know that it'll take me 25 chapters to tell this story I find it most comfortable to have um, something of a, of a skeleton uh, laid out so by about chapter 6 we'll have to know X, Y and Z about characters A, B and C um, 
but I, I think that there runs a risk of you getting too formulaic because if you're looking for some kind of uh, success calculus um, and that's that seems somehow it doesn't like it doesn't really have the authenticity that I like I think there should be some kind of organic process about writing so yeah I, 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 I box myself into a corner I tell myself this is how this is the story this is how we, this story should look and then I give myself a loose framework in which to do it but a, a lot of it is it's like playing by ear when you're a, a musician really you, you know how the song goes but you also know when there's uh, when there's room for a solo or uh, you know when, when it's uh, when perhaps an encore is required or or perhaps when it's shut up uh, that is a lot where a lot of particularly literary writers uh, could could do with perhaps a firmer hand on their shoulder because I could write forever whether you could read it or not is, an, is another question whether it's whether it's worth being read whether it helps the story is a, is another question right we will be back with more from david in a little bit where we'll talk about how he researched the book and what keeps him going as a writer hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, before we get into Distinguished Diaries, I need to tell you about the third best website on the internet. Number one, Google, obviously. Number two, probably Wikipedia for me. Although I've realised I don't actually do any proper work or research on Wikipedia. I mainly use it to stay up really late, late at night in internet wormholes, kind of researching mysterious deaths that were never proven and finding out what really happened. Anyway, the third best website on the internet is writersroutine.com. Have you seen it yet? We've actually got a website at last. You can find all of our episodes on there and there are handy links for uh, however you choose to consume your podcasts. Uh, RSS feed, iTunes, it's all on there. Uh, you can even contact the show there too. Tell me exactly what you think, what authors you think we should interview, what questions you want to ask them. It's all on the website. So when you've come off of Wikipedia and you found out exactly what happened to that guy who stole all the money from the pain then parachuted to safety and seemingly disappeared get to mine it is writersroutine.com let's do it then the halftime show of the show it's time for distinguished diaries 
Now, our weird and wonderful writing routine from history this week, it comes from Kurt Vonnegut. He was an American writer known for his darkly satirical novels like Cat's Cradle, and he's best known, and you might know him, from Slaughterhouse-Five. And in 1965, which is 52 years before this podcast even became a thing, uh, the idea of writing routines seemingly meant something to him because he wrote a letter to his wife uh, detailing his daily diary of work, which is kind of handy for me and this show. It was published in the book Kurt Vonnegut Letters. And he says he woke up at 5.30 and got straight to it, worked until 8 o'clock in the morning. And then he ate breakfast, did some more work until 10. And then in the afternoon, he did his regular day job before he made loads of money uh, with all his novels. He did schoolwork. He taught uh, creative writing workshops at the University of Iowa. Uh, And then he would get home from school at about 5.30 and he would be done. He would be spent. He says, this is brilliant. He says, I numb my twanging intellect with several belts of scotch and water. Then he would read, eat a little bit and listen to jazz. Also, throughout the day, right, he would do push-ups and sit-ups all the time, feeling himself, getting energised, feeling that energy pump into his brain. And that was his writing routine, beautifully put to the point as well. What's interesting to note from this uh, is he woke up fairly early to write and then he went and did a regular job to earn some money. And this shows, doesn't it? Think about it. If you're struggling to write, if you're making excuses that you're tired, that there's not enough hours in the day to do everything, well, Vonnegut, he found time to write, to exercise, to work, and he's a writer, so obviously, and most importantly, he found time to get drunk. Right, let's get back to it then. My chat with David Mark, DM Mark. He's just got his brand new book, The Zealot's Bones. It's out right now. uh, And we're hearing his writer's routine. And he's telling us about the joy of when everything starts to click together. It's a lovely feeling of knowing when when the story is is revving up of its own accord or a character doing something that perhaps you didn't plan. Um, And I always thought that sounded like witchcraft when other people said that. I was like, well, how? They're your characters. Well, yeah, well, they're my kids, but they still surprise me. You know, they'll still do things that are completely out of character and completely obscure and weird and usually uh, illegal in my kids' (laughs) case. So, yeah, if you think you know everything before you start, um, then... There's no pleasure to be had in it. So the hard part is knowing that you might come up with what seems like a brilliant idea halfway through chapter nine uh, that you want to explore. It's a question of do you explore that and possibly change everything that you'd started with or do you bank it as a workable idea for a, another book somewhere down the line? And and those are the those are things you learn as you go. You know, I'm, I'm seven books in, I'm six years into my career and I, I'm frightened by how little I knew when I started and I'm equally frightened and reassured by knowing that 10 years from now I'll look back on this version of me as not having a clue either. So I, I think there's the idea that this is a way to do it is, is perhaps... Uh, <laughs> I don't think I could in good conscience say it right like I do because I'm a you know slight shambles of a person. My books just happen to come together. It's not a case of pitting yourself against your heroes, but it's just a case of thinking, could I do even something approximating what what those people do? Um, And people can be their own judge, but all I would say is that it was simultaneously the most fun and the most horror I've ever experienced during writing. Because when it comes to contemporary fiction, I know how people 
talk i know what they'll order when they walk into a bar i know what sound their shoes make as they're walking down the road when it's 1849 in a cholera soaked hole i don't know any of those things um and to be able to feel your characters you should you need to know some of those things you don't want to fudge it so yeah there was an awful lot of research involved there was an awful lot of writing and leaving an asterisk to come back later and think yeah i've no idea what what the barman would hand him in his change i don't know uh, and it's think those are the moments when you think why have i done this why have i made it this difficult for myself but you do you find you find your voice um it was I, I did think about writing it past tense um but because that kind of makes sense but uh, i i do find myself wanting to put my readers very much front and center uh you know i want them to be close enough to to smell the corpses as it were and i find that uh the the third person present tense is the style for me and same with the McAvoy novels uh, not every Amazon reviewer likes that <laughs> style uh, but I'll get around them all eventually yeah uh, it's quite bizarre when I do little um, creative writing classes and I did an event at the weekend and there was um, a very nice well-intentioned person asking me about you know whether I felt a duty to the truth whether because you know, occasionally I use real characters from, from history and, and create a whole different personality for them and was that something that I should be uh, I have a responsibility to and the answer to all these things is is not in the slightest I don't it would never occur to me that I'd be in a position to affect anything <laughs> um, you know ask me again if I sell a million copies and I'll, I'll try and pretend I feel guilty how do you think your the way you work has changed in the seven books so when you first sat down to write um, your, your your McAvoy series how has that differed now when you're writing something unique uh, good question I mean the, the positive thing is that I'm a full-time novelist and uh, when I started I wasn't I was a I was a journalist and I used to try and write in whatever moment I could steal and that keeps you quite sharp and it makes you uh, appreciative of of getting it done um, and it also it, it fuels you completely because the only way you're going to become what you want to be is if you do this to the best of your ability uh, now I know that what I write you know Touchwood will will be read um, which is a whole different ball game because you can find yourself worrying about what uh, about whether you're still doing it right whether people want something new whether they want more of the same uh, whether it's becoming far-fetched whether it's time to stop um, all you can there, there is a mirror for every reflection that you want out there on, on the internet. You know, I, if I want to feel dreadful about myself, there's enough stuff out there for me to do so. If I want to feel great about myself, there's enough enough people who are happy to to hold up that particular mirror. So the hardest aspect of writing, and while I'm at this stage in what I call my career, <laughs> um, is essentially just trust into your own voice. You know, not not overanalyzing it not overthinking it um letting the chips fall where they may and just focusing on telling the best story that you can in the best way that you can leaving all the uh, there's a lot of people who are starting out who worry about the the front cover and you know will this particular magazine want to focus on this aspect of the story and they're thinking about the marketing strategies when they're only halfway through chapter three <laughs> and uh, i always encourage people to think about nothing but the story in your time writing what idiosyncrasies have you picked up about yourself that help you write better 
Um, is there a particular music you need to listen to? Do you need a Cadbury's mini roll um, uh, at 11 o'clock? You know what? I mean, this. I, I say this as a relatively recently sober chap, you see. Um, there used to be an awful lot of, uh, of affectation and hobby uh, and OCD uh, in, in my writing routine. Um, most of it involving what time it was okay to have my first whiskey and what time I fell off the chair. Uh, nowadays, it's much more a case of... I, I can't start unless I've had a coffee. I can't start on until I've just had a quick look on the Guardian website, uh, just to check. You know, because if I take my eye off the ball for one second, obviously the world's going to collapse. Yeah, the, yeah, the world's over. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. I mean, if, if if I if I stop concentrating. Will stop spinning. That's, yeah. that's and there'll be no place for the book to be published in. E- exactly, you know. Yeah. So um, it's it's all part Unless of the you research. Unless you publish it in like North Korean. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? If there's a deal going, I'm interested. <laughs> uh, but no, there's 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 nothing like that. And I admire people who who can listen to a certain track and things like that. But it's just I'm doing the thing that matters to me most, which is writing, and a lot of the other stuff that goes with it people call part of the process and the northerner in me calls faffing about that is it then the end of my chat with david mark thank you so much to him uh, for sparing time to give me a little interview he recorded that with me on uh, publication day as well of his brand new book the zealot's bones and he was really busy so i absolutely appreciate the time david and if you enjoyed hearing all about his book we've got handy links to where you can pick up the zealot's bones on the website it is writersroutine.com while you're on there it's the best place to subscribe to the show on iTunes uh, all of that's on there you can listen to all our old episodes and you can get in touch with the show it is writersroutine.com and while you've been on there and it's directed you to iTunes uh, make sure you leave us a review and five stars that is five stars and you can give us a follow as well we are on Twitter at writers pod and we will be back next week with another writers routine where we chat to an author who used to write one of your family's favorite bbc sitcoms that is next week on the writers routine i will see you then thanks for listening bye ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.